The Core 360 belt is the best aid to train the abdominal wall. The Core 360 is a patent-pending, first-of-its-kind training belt that helps you move, breathe, and perform better. We use the Core 360 belt with almost every patient at Winchester Spine and Sport. The biofeedback is second to none, and it's an amazing way to teach proper respiration and can be even used during higher-level movements in the gym. Teaching proper respiration is about as fun as a rash, but with the Core 360 belt, you take all the headaches away. Visit core360belt.com and use the code GESTALT for 10% all off all belts, ohm track sensors not included. Again, visit core360belt.com and use the code GESTALT for 10% off. Enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Gestalt Education Show. We got some more returning guests today, Brett. So uh, we're excited to be sitting down with uh, Erica Boland, Lindsay Muma. So we just finished up the perinatal manual therapy or manual care course here at Winchester Spine and Sport. And so what an awesome weekend. This is the second time we've hosted y'all. And uh, man, it was awesome. Uh, the only downside for Brett and I was that uh, we thought we trusted them. Yeah. <laughs> The circle we, uh, of trust has been broken. We let them do their own thing for dinner uh, on Friday, and then they kept their cre- our credit card. And today I was literally 30 seconds away from calling Chase to see that our credit card had been stolen because <laughs> somebody was spending way less money than us at some random tattoo parlor in, in St. Weldon Springs. Yeah, Weldon Springs. And so I uh, did the normal dad thing and, and pulled Erica into the corner and asked, did you guys go get tattoos uh, with our credit card yesterday? And the answer was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. yeah we did that. That we happened. Did that. Yeah, so that's the thing. So um, It was fun. Yeah. It was a really good level troll. Yeah, I mean, it was honestly, <laughs> the respect level is through the roof at this point. Like, the trust is gone. Yeah, well, the respect is higher. Right? Now, how long did you think it would take for us to notice? At, at least, least a month. month. Yeah, I, we have yeah. A, a, I have a reminder in my calendar to send you a check in a month because I didn't think that you would notice. <laughs> the funny thing is that our credit card has been compromised, like, I don't even know, five or six times in the last couple of months. So now I'm like a watchdog on that damn thing. Oh, yeah. So Clearly. today I was like, son of a... <laughs> I wish I would have had a picture of your face when you're like, um, did you two get tattoos on my credit card last night? <laughs> and my response was, yes. yes. <laughs> and your response was... Actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a tattoo and piercing spot. So I thought I was going to go with the tattoo first rather than asking because <laughs> just in that's, yeah, that's a smart plan. Yeah, just uh, playing the odds. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're just glad to know that uh, they got our faces tattooed on their body <laughs> somewhere. That's what we're going to go with. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's actually kind of a, it's a good thing. So uh, whatever, it's a, it's a compliment. We'll put it that way. So... <laughs> Anyway, uh, we'll move past the, uh, the awkwardness of the weekend and let's get down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> so we had a crazy mix of, uh, of students this weekend. Yeah, so yeah. this is a perinatal manual care course. So this is literally like, uh, you know, third trimester up to six weeks postpartum, right? That's kind of like the, the perinatal definition. That's a like, textbook perinatal definition, but truly it's care for pregnancy and postpartum population. Sure. Manual care for pregnancy. What was awesome, though, is we had actually more males than females here yes. this weekend, which is this crazy. So it's it's so awesome because there's this stigma that you can't treat that population if you're a male. Mm-hmm. Uh, or as Brett would say, if you have external plumbing. And so, Brett, but Brett, you kind of got your start uh, working with the pregnancy population. Yeah, I'd spent eight months of my life basically only working with pregnant uh, patients at uh, BJC here. So it's, uh, really? I, I think as far as like, uh, you know, a need... Because they can't do pharmaceuticals that they're not supposed to. Um, I mean, the chiropractors or physical therapists, I mean, they're set up like perfectly to be able to, you know, deliver the, the treatment for these, for this population. And usually the people that are doing um, pregnancy or postpartum, they're also doing pediatrics. And then like when I follow up with my uh, postpartum females, then it's like a natural start point to be checking up with the, mm-hmm. uh, with the baby. So well, let's let's just outline it for those that maybe don't know about this course. It's relatively new. I mean, talk us through the weekend. What what do we what do we discuss and that kind of stuff? Oh, you're deferring to me. Excellent. Okay, I have uh, no problem talking. So we will we start off with 
the definition of core and pelvic floor because that is the area of the body that changes like in literal juxtaposition and also in, in its function and in its capacity and in its need and in its loading through pregnancy and then rapidly changes in the postpartum time period. And so we start off with core and pelvic floor stuff, then we'll get into the lumbopelvis. And that's kind of the area of the body that is known for causing the most discomfort during pregnancy. I always say that it's like a rite of passage to have low back pain when you're pregnant, but really it's not, it's not necessary, but pregnancy tends to highlight a lot of the things that were issues beforehand. And so we go into what typical pregnancy expectations would be and how we can address those things with our patients with a variety of manual therapies and, and tools that you may already have in your tool belt, but you're not necessarily applying to the pregnant patient. Um, we also get into thoracic spine issues, and then we do a whole section on cranial work and, and, and incorporating that into a functional orofacial system. And then, and, and the whole weekend is kind of incorporating more rehabilitative exercises. We use the functional progression, which Erica created based on DNS principles and demonstrating how breaking down these movement patterns with a body that is rapidly changing is incredibly powerful because we just bring back to the basics. And then the cool thing about working with prenatal and postpartum patients is the things that you learn for working with that population, you can apply to any other population, but the reverse of that is not true. Like you can't do things that you would do with anybody necessarily with a pregnant patient or an early postpartum patient, but you can do any of the things that you would do during pregnancy or postpartum with other patients. So it's really applicable outside of what you learn in the weekend. And now, Erica, pregnant females are fragile little butterflies, right? And so we shouldn't yes. adjust them. Manual therapies kind of gets thrown out the They door. shouldn't be working out. But right. Yeah. They shouldn't yeah. be doing all, all those that. things. All that. Um, yeah. So in the seminar well, over the course of the weekend, we, we do talk about that and, and kind of um, flipping that on its head. And the benefits of movement alone in pregnancy are exponential into postpartum healing. So obviously training and preparing for the rest of pregnancy, for birth, um, the marathon that labor can be. But when that's addressed prenatally, then your patient is set up for better healing postpartum. And that's the part that that lasts forever. And I think another thing too that we talk about over the weekend is the um, stigma of care plans and chiropractic. And we get into this is a population that is really truly needs a functional wellness-based model because like Muma said of the rapid changes um, and even the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology is recommending more frequent and improved quality of care postpartum but it's not happening Mm -hmm. and we are the musculoskeletal experts so one of the guys that was at the seminar this weekend said like this totally changed my perception on working with this population, because really, truly, it comes down to just knowing the way that the body moves and applying that to this, this population. So, And this is a lot of the concepts that we covered in both of your first episodes. So if you haven't checked out those, uh, Lindsay's is kind of hidden. You're one of our first ones. So it's, nice. it's down there a little bit. You have to scroll a little bit or just uh, search it. Erica's a little bit more recent, but we kind of went through a little bit more of the specifics, but Brett and I thought today, since you're both here, I think one of the most misunderstood things in the human body and especially rehabilitation is the pelvic floor. So we get into a DNS, we talk about the top-down approach with the diaphragm and pelvic yes. floor, but uh, maybe let's just kind of start with um, what, what makes this area, I guess, so prone to needing rehab or, or needing needing therapy afterwards doesn't it just kind of go back to where it was after pregnancy or i, I think a better jump off point might be you know you hear like different experts in the world say the pelvic floor has too much tension they need to be able to relax more and then you have like another group of people that are saying oh you know the pelvic floor is inhibited okay so i think a good jump off point would be what is the you know what is the status of the dysfunctional pelvic floor do we think that it has become neurologically inhibited we need to train it or you have another group of people that are saying there's too much tension in it we need to relax it is it a little bit of both how do you what are your guys thoughts on like the current thought of what we're needing to do with pelvic floor training 
Yeah. Well, for full activation, really, truly, uh, the muscle group needs to be able to fully relax, like for full function. So um, especially today when society is, most people in society are already carrying around so much tension, what I'm finding is there is a lot of tension in the, in the pelvic floor. And so it's awesome now in midwifery school to be able to see when that translates um, from chiropractic practice to labor and delivery and then into postpartum. And like you, one of you said, the um, top-down approach of working with the diaphragm, that's where I start with every single one of my patients. And the goal is communication between diaphragm and pelvic floor and just the um, patient's ability to actually connect with their pelvic floor at all because likely they're holding tension there without knowing it. And, you know, when did that start? Well, I think that starts from a very young age, whether it's societal norms or uh, pressures or stigma or whatever. We just really, in general, become disconnected from that area of our body. And, yeah, so that's where that's where I see the most dysfunction occurs in tension. Perfect. Um, so then how often would you be using, like, an internal uh, physical therapist for internal work on the pelvic floor? So we get into this in the in the course too, and there's different camps with that as well. Um, not everybody's open to that, and I think it's important for chiropractors to realize like you can do so much to help treat the pelvic floor externally. If people are open to having internal pelvic floor work, I do think that around six weeks postpartum is a really great time to do that, especially to see exactly how the pelvic floor is functioning, um, especially if anybody is interested in or has been recommended to do any sort of Kegels, which is like single muscle group activation of the pelvic floor. That really needs to be done with a professional. So I have the conversation with my patients that I recommend seeing a pelvic floor PT for inter internal work around six weeks postpartum. That's everybody or? It okay. is. Um, there's some patients that I know uh, are definitely not open to that, so I'll still share the information because it's, it's my job to full, be fully in, informative in that way, but yeah. Right. Um, okay, and then uh, males have a pelvic floor too. What? So, they yes. do. Yeah, they do. They, they have less holes in their pelvic floor. <laughs> right. um, I mean, legitimately, that, when you think about that, that actually changes the pressurization that happens within the core canister. Like, it does matter that you have less holes in your pelvic floor. Uh, but but this, this is the cool thing about working with a functional core is it doesn't matter who your patient is. You can help improve their stabilization strategies right. by doing that. So then... I think we are all in agreement. We don't specifically use a Kegel, but do you ever give like uh, internal female cues to the patient to get some activation there when we're exercising or not? Not necessarily. I'd give self internal cues. Uh, I guess in midwifery, I get, I am a little more like actually internal than certainly I have been as a chiropractor. Um, but I'll teach patients how to do a self internal release just with using their thumb or if they're not even comfortable using their own thumb or hand, then um, like sending them information on a pelvic wand that they can use to find trigger points uh, within the pelvic floor. And then same as any other trigger point in the body, just holding tension there on their own. And ideally we've already worked on um, breathing mechanics. So then they use those breathing mechanics to help release those trigger points. And then it just brings that proprioception and awareness further into the pelvic floor. But you would never say like lift your vagina up or mm -hmm. cut off your urination stream. Like you don't use any of those cues at this point during exercise therapy. I don't, I okay. do not. Okay. Mm -mm. Perfect. There are, uh, there's a, a kind of cue that sometimes I, I learned this from Martina in the DNS Women's Health course of like a, a sucking motion. So like having the patient stick their finger in their mouth in order to create suction so that they feel what their pelvic floor naturally does when it lifts. That is really good for just kind of uh, creating an awareness in the pelvic floor. And that's where, you know, that's what Erica was saying. So much of this stuff is really an awareness issue. So many people are so disconnected from what's happening within their pelvis mm -hmm. in general, you know, and they're half-assing their ability to breathe with their diaphragm, which is kind of where, you know, taking that top-down approach is really important. And so getting the awareness of this is what your pelvic floor does if you create 
suction. Right. That that's kind of helpful. And that's that's sort of the, the closest thing to that that I do in practice. Mm-hmm. If 20% of the postpartum female population who has a vaginal birth has leakage with coughing, sneezing, laughing, and we put them in the right protocol, of that 20%, what percent of them would have 100% resolution in that problem, would you say? I really, truly, that believes on in consistency, and that's going to change over time. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I would say complete resolution that uh, I would be throwing out a number, but I would say you could have complete resolution with consistency in probably 70 to 80% of patients is what I'm seeing in practice. Um, There's obviously occasionally other contributing factors or maybe it was there before, Um, but different things, events will happen. Uh, mental, emotional, and physical events will happen in life, and your pelvic floor is affected by that. So whether it's illness or honestly death in the family or something like that will affect the connection to that area. So then you'll see this re-exacerbation of symptoms, which can feel a little bit like hopeless when, okay, I've done all this work, I have all these tools, and now it's bad again, or it's getting worse or whatever. And that's just communication from your body that, hey, we need to recalibrate again and like focus back in here and um, use the tools you have to continue to improve. So the biggest difference there is consistency is what I see. And then how long of a program, I know there's, it all depends, but like how long of a program do you think it would, it would take for the people that are listening here? Like if you're going to try to change that, like how much time are we needing on average to be able to make that change? Are you saying like per day or per week? No, this is one of the things that Erica actually goes over in, in the care plan. In the care plan mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I move through the functional progression ideally in four to six visits. That depends on the awareness with their body. So that usually takes about three weeks. And then we're getting more into like foundations of strength because we know from uh, evidence and research that strength training really has great long-term pelvic floor outcomes. Um, so that programming alone can be anywhere from six weeks to three months, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, but the goal for me and I would say Muma similar for you is always to keep them moving in a way that they like to move so as long as we can add function to whatever their movement practice is and keep them consistent with that and keep them enjoying that and moving well within it then we see better pelvic floor and core uh, outcomes long term right so it's kind of like a potentially three to six month on ramp into their movement practice right mm-hmm. what about then that's kind of like this end of the spectrum what about the other end prolapse so even during pregnancy after pregnancy stuff like that i mean is that still in our realm are you still talking with them what, what's yeah. that look like i mean tell, yeah. tell us talk us through maybe the extreme case of that or does it change at all i mean what? ideally yeah i mean that's that i guess when brett asked that question for me that includes any pelvic floor dysfunction mm-hmm. sure. yeah i would agree and you know research which is behind what we're able to do in clinical practice because that's what we're studying is what's already being done in clinical practice so just a reminder that if you only practice what is available in evidence then you're behind mm-hmm. but uh, research shows us that you know with good rehabilitative care we can expect like with very solid consistency that you can decrease a prolapse by one grade so like if you have a grade two prolapse then you can expect that with just a course of pt or manual therapy and chiropractic care you can expect to see that that would decrease by one grade so that's like expected within the literature so that tells me at that that's base level of, of what we can do and some people will say well that's all that we can do because that's what the research says. Well, I, you know, I have seen that that patients have had better improvements as they continue to revisit that. And so one of the hardest things with recovery of pelvic floor stuff is, you know, after birth, you have such a lack of stabilization that you really shouldn't be able to even walk around, Mm -hmm. but you cognitively know how to walk around. So you're able to get up and move around and then you pick up your kid and you're doing all of these things that are adding load to a completely destabilized system. And it's really hard sometimes to rein that in and have patients understand like, no, we really kind of need to stay 
in a functional place for a while before we step into that adaptive gap. Mm. But if we do that, if we really do get a solid foundation down, then when you get into that adaptive gap, it will feel really good to do so. It will feel really good to build strength on top of function instead of build strength on top of compensation. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the, the challenges with working with pelvic floor dysfunction is that because people for such a long time have just assumed that it's like a thing, you know, the rite of passage of pregnancy is that you have low back pain and the rite of passage of postpartum life is that you pee your pants and you just cross your legs whenever you sneeze or cough. And, and so for such a long time, we've kind of kept that hidden. I mean, I intentionally ask three separate times with a new patient if they have any symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction. And so, and, and sometimes on the first question they say no, on the second question they say no, but like with a caveat. And then on the third question where I actually am asking specifically these specific symptoms, do they kind of elaborate a little bit more? And so people are, are sort of hiding this information, they're holding it in, and then they're literally holding it in and creating more tension and kind of feeding into that dysfunction. And so I think one of the challenges is it takes a little bit longer sometimes because the patient is wanting to do too much too soon. What are some of your favorite questions to, to kind of tease it out, maybe two or three? Oh, to ask patients mm -hmm. if they are experiencing. So, um, you know, the OPQ or ST type of questions of what are your red flags? Do you have any stress or do you have any incontinence? And then in parentheses, I've added to that question, including stress incontinence. And I'm so surprised at the number of patients who don't know what stress incontinence is. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think that that's kind of something that's in the vernacular that people would just be aware of. But so many patients are like, I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, so do you pee when you cough, laugh, sneeze, jump, run? I think that's the key way to, especially yes, as yeah. a male, yeah. the males are listening to that. Because if you, if I were to ask the patient, do you have pelvic floor dysfunction? Right. Their answer will be no. Right. But if I frame the question, Yes. right then you'll get the yeah. answer that you're looking for so yeah. technically i actually do have uh four ways that i ask that question because there is one little box where some patients are literally just coming in because they know that we do work the, with pelvic floor dysfunction yeah. and so is this why you're coming in checkbox mm -hmm. so they may say that and then in those opqrst questions that that there is that question and then uh there is a checkbox mm -hmm. of what symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction can be. And that, you know, we go over that in the course. Um, and then I ask them out loud. So it's not just on the form and I, you know, I mean, I intentionally go through the form questions and ask audibly for you to expand on things that you have said yes to. Right. But on that question specifically, even if you've said no, I will ask clarifying questions. Do you pee your pants when you cough, laugh, jump, sneeze, or run? And, you know, sometimes I will add in, what if you go to a trampoline park? Hmm. You know, because that's an extra layer of stress. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. But the reason why is because they're not doing the things that they know will cause them to have a symptom show up. Right. So could you go to a trampoline park today without wearing a pad? That's a solid question. And I, for, I even further, like, do you leak any amounts of urine instead of pee or pants or have incontinence or whatever? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people think complete loss of urine function mm -hmm. or honestly bowel function as well is where the issue is but really it's even just a small amount of leaking they don't have to deal with mm -hmm. but that's just a rite of passage with crossfit mm -hmm. right that's yeah. that new the new instagram yeah. phase yeah, yeah. is everybody just completely peeing their <laughs> just it's insane but anyway that's for another day uh perfect okay and then uh so then what about if you both had Take respiration out. We understand that just training respiration is, is the starting point for everything. Give us maybe your one or two favorite uh, positions or exercises to train the pelvic floor in. Um, I would say uh, functional progression two and FP4. Specifically with FP4 because I, so in that position you're in quadruped and then bringing, thank you, and then bringing pelvic floor up above diaphragm, like lifting glutes above diaphragm. And then um, when they breathe, that's an eccentric load on diaphragm. So again, diaphragm and pelvic floor are communicating. Mm -hmm. So even if I don't start with diaphragm and they're in that position, they have to breathe. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's just naturally gonna happen. It's gonna increase that awareness. Um, and then FB2 is a sideline um, position for, and it really helps connect the, th the slings of the body and naturally integrate the pelvic floor into like hip rotation and shoulder movement. And so um, that sort of function can occur without them having full connection or awareness of their pelvic floor yet. Is it going to improve it if I start with diaphragmatic work? Absolutely it will. But I think the biggest takeaway in all of it is when you improve biomechanics, um, you will, whether it's at the shoulder or at the hip or at the ankle or foot, you will improve the pelvic floor function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, complete agreement. 
I use you can't choose those two. in for my office. I will add to that the 90-90 shin box position into the uh, DNS half kneeling, you know, kind of yes. that um, a tall kneeling tripod sort of position. Mm -hmm. Uh, those are fantastic. So in the half kneeling position, that's really the first time that the foot is being loaded for weight bearing. And so that is really helping to integrate the foot function with the pelvic floor. So, you know, Erica was just saying, like, if you're addressing the biomechanics in the foot, you can, you're absolutely addressing biomechanics of the pelvic floor and you can improve that. And so that one I really find is incredible for getting glute stabilization to really be something that the patient can feel um and it's also a very humbling exercise like a lot of people cannot do those two exercises well and they try them and they're like holy crap like that that was that was freaking tough and so it's it's nice to to be able to demonstrate this looks like a very 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 simple exercise but there's still so much work that we have to do in order to to get you to full recovery um and so those are uh, two of my favorites. And I usually kind of group them together where I do yeah. the 90-90 shin box into the half kneeling and back down again. I mean, you look at the population in general and just the glute activation is so lacking. So mm -hmm. to be able to take that position that she uses and give them a better awareness of their glutes, even in just seated, like yeah. even then, mm -hmm. it's just so impactful, powerful on the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So neither one of you said squat, which, you know, a lot yeah. of people that's like, you know, their go-to. So is there a reason why or just... I, the only reason why I don't typically start with squat is because there are so many facets of necessary adequate biomechanics that need to be to in place yeah. in order for you to go, do a good squat. Like if your ankle mortis dorsiflexion sucks, then your squat's going to suck. And now it's not helping your pelvic floor because now we're training compensation. You know, and if you think about it from like, if you were to do like a purist sort of approach to DNS, like you have to do these things first before you can get there. You know, squat is at sort of the end of the ability to uh, create new human movement in that first year of life. And so mm -hmm. squat is, you, you gotta earn a squat. And yes, the squat is incredible for training the pelvic floor, but you have to earn getting to a squat. Right. And that's more like in re rehabilitation too, right? So when we're thinking about the immediate postpartum person, they have gone through all of those sequences. So sometimes having a little bit of an axial load, or like even if it's just carrying the baby, is what helps them mm. find their core again and what helps them activate again. And so there is an extent where the functional progression really needs to just be supplemental to the movement and they need to be bearing weight. Mm -hmm. Like even just uh, lightweight, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 50 pounds, whatever, that will help them, especially once they've go, gone through um, some of these like reintegration of the biomechanics, it will help them really feel what it means to activate their core in a better way so i would say squat would be my go-to right after that mm -hmm. and honestly it would be one of the places i would start during pregnancy mm -hmm. because that's so important to be able to access during labor mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. it's an it's an incredible option for laboring and and, and birthing mm -hmm. and like the uh, the number of people that i think most of the people watching this podcast honestly probably work with a pretty active population. Mm -hmm. You've got to remember that not everybody is as body aware as mm -hmm. the active population is. So we've got patients that aren't even comfortable due to fear of getting into a squat because they haven't done it in so long. Yeah. And these are yeah. like women in their 20s. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. how often after uh, birth, you know, we have relaxed and other hormones that are free floating in the uh in the woman's system to allow the childbirth to occur mm -hmm. at what point afterwards is that no longer an issue and they start to you know um stiff be able to stiffen their joints back up again and stabilize better. stabilize better yeah so it actually ch is changed or compromised through the end of breastfeeding mm -hmm. okay. because of estrogen levels right okay mm -hmm. so when i when i talk to my patients about that it's like you will continue to see improvement after you are done nursing your last child, um, that isn't a reason to stop nursing, but also it's hopeful that there's still yeah, improvement right. to be made, even there's some hope. people like years later, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, the hormonal shift remains for that long. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. What are the barriers that you guys see with your, like in your difficult cases, like what are the things that the patients are having a hard time like grasping as far as like the pelvic floor training? I think, I think one of the hardest things is 
having a patient change their posture. Um, and so many people are just so happy to sit in this horrible slouched position. And what that does to the pelvic floor is, is so hard to combat with, you know, twice a day rehab exercises. And so I tell patients all the time that, you know, my follow-up visits are 15 minutes. And, and so I tell them you have 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day that you are on your own. So I can do really great care here and I am happy to help you. But if what you're doing for the majority of the rest of the day is combating what we've done in the office, then it's going to take you a lot longer to get better and to reach the goals that you have and to reach the potential of what your body is capable of. So I I think it's a really hard thing to change posture and especially in the postpartum time period when you have this kind of empty space of where the baby used to live in your body and then you have breast changes and you have postural requirements of holding your baby and you're nursing and looking at the baby and and so much of that is this forward rounded kyphotic posture that significantly impacts your ability to use your core appropriately which includes your pelvic floor and so i think that's that's one of the hardest things is just the take-home aspect of your repetitive things that you're doing all day every day yeah and honestly i think it boils down to um the mental component of it consistency is key and people want a quick fix yeah and there's a lot of uh responsibility in taking ownership for your own health and movement included. So I think long term, that's the biggest challenge is realizing like this isn't a box to be checked. This is something to continuously mm-hmm. practice across your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to mean something to them for them to really grasp onto that and really make the change. So I think too, I mean, it's sometimes they're, they're way more unstable after the childbirth just because up until that point, basically the baby is giving the spine support from the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, most people don't, you know, consider that there used to be a picture of movement stability and low back pain Fleming's book where they had an x-ray of a, of a, of a pregnant lady and the fetus was basically pushing up against the lumbar spine. So although like globally they look like they're in an anterior pelvic tilt, which they are, but their spine is actually in a little bit of hypo lordosis because of the pressure of the baby against the lumbar spine. So, uh, you know, when we look at low back pain, low back pain, SI joint dysfunction is kind of grossly overstated, Mm -hmm. but in the pregnancy population, do you think it's understated? How much are you seeing like actual SI joint dysfunction in um, in your pregnant or postpartum females? I I would say almost probably 50/50 of something it like the the driver of dysfunction is coming from the TL junction or the SI joints. That's probably not true. It's probably higher in the TL junction than it is in the SI joints. I would say that the SI joints are more dysfunctional in pregnancy and I think that's simply because of the 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 needs that are required sure. of the yeah. pelvis in pregnancy um but what you were saying about the 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 baby kind of creating pressure yeah so like the the core is destabilizing during pregnancy but you have this you know adorable space occupying lesion that is actually <laughs> taking up space and increasing the intra-abdominal pressure that you have present and and it kind of lends itself to a little bit more stable feeling and then in the postpartum time period i do see more uh, SI joint laxity sure, than yeah. during the prenatal population, what would you say? I would say the majority of what I see related to SI is instability. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really Which that would be what I would expect. Yeah. 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 So, a pregnancy or a postpartum, either way, I see much more instability in the SI joint yeah. than I do. Like and even like Laslett's cluster of tests for the SI joint, I mean, mm-hmm. and he's even on record as saying, I mean, it's a really good... Uh, test on the postpartum females yep but what's frustrating for a bunch of chiropractors is doing his cluster of tests doesn't necessarily tell you whether you should manipulate it or not it's just telling you whether or not yeah. that's the pain generator mm-hmm. yep yeah. what about um you know when we look at the a bird's eye view of the pelvis obviously we have two si joints and in the front we have the pubic symphysis mm-hmm. which i mean in the everyday population i'm not going to say never because we see it a little bit but rarely do we see 
dysfunction in the pubic symphysis, mm -hmm. but we do see it in the uh, pregnant postpartum group of people. Is there anything you guys do specifically for pubic symphysis issues? Stabilize the glutes. Yes, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. glutes and then, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, if you think about it from, uh, just from an anatomical position, and this is one of the things that we cover in the class, but the, the rectus abdominis is attaching into the top of the pubic symphysis and the adductors are attaching into the bottom of the pubic symphysis and so and the, the adductors diaphragm attaches to like the bottom and inside of the pubic symphysis like there's just so much when yep. there's that added weight yep. from baby and you know like the changes blood that are flow. yeah yep. then uh something is going to have to compensate if there is not stability and like quality biomechanics and function there in the mm -hmm. first place and then it just that's where like Muma said earlier where pregnancy is this time where you just see any dysfunction that was there before just kind of be a little just more shine prominent. a flashlight yeah. on it yeah. yeah but the treatment is to reintegrate the muscles around <laughs> yes, that area because you know and chiropractic lore from 100 years ago I mean there's all kinds of crazy and even in, in the osteopathic profession there's up slips down slips that yep. everyone's mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. um, and we've kind of like done away with that but uh, so the answer was to reintegrate the muscles better around that yep. area yeah. basically yeah. Uh -huh. yep. what about any tips for like quick strikes and pain or anything you've seen like people that have pregnant females that have lightning crush right is yeah. another, another yeah. mm -hmm. thing for it anything in that first visit or you know that they can do at home that's that's tried and true for a quick strike of pain? I use the 90-90 to kneel or mm -hmm. uh, kneel to 90-90 because mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. that even just that position of the hips um, is a little more stress on the pubic symphysis they can handle if they're acute. So just getting them into a kneeling position and having them move over their hip, like move back through their hip mm -hmm. using their glute and then coming back up and just really wake those glutes back up. Um, and sometimes you have to peel it way back. We just talked about this today. One of the things that I like to do if they can't even really activate glutes in that position is just simply start with a basic glute bridge. And just, again, that's more proprioception based. And what I do is put a yoga block between the knees and a resistance band around the knees. And I have them feed into the resistance band just enough that the yoga block doesn't fall because we want collaboration from the external and internal rotators, but we need it, you know, if there's no, if there's a decreased glute med activation, that that's a way for them to figure out what that should feel like within their movement. And then we put them back into that position and then they can do it better because they're a little bit more aware of it. But, you know, asking questions too about what pos position are they sleeping in? What position are they sitting in? What are their day-to-day -day activities and finding the underlying mm -hmm. issue there mm -hmm. and if you saw a hundred patients uh in this population that have uh, low back pain how often would you be putting a belt on them for stabilization probably twice that so two out of a hundred right. yeah. yeah i mean yeah. i don't have any belts in my office you got that I'm question not, today i did yeah, yeah we were talking about that today i like i i don't lack sympathy for the person who is in so much discomfort because they have so much instability but my preference is to use as few external crutches as possible so, right um i don't but carry the them in my does office exist to sell them. yes yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah because at the end of the day it's like okay if you can't even function without that yeah. then we need to use that as as a crutch for a little mm -hmm. bit but let's teach you yep. how to better okay. integrate the system while you're doing that right because th those belts are also a pain in the ass to put on and off as you're moving and you know mm -hmm. as belly expands it's not like it's comfortable to wear most people actually don't want to rely on that anyway in the first place but if the pain is is so severe that they're having a hard time functioning then that's but you know like maybe the reason i say two out of a hundred is because when someone comes in to see me pregnant we automatically start into diaphragmatic work and functional progression so then ideally we're not getting to that point right yeah Right. That's more but I mean, we have those patients in. who come in at 36 exactly. and they're like, yeah. oh, my baby's breech. I heard that you can do this, yes. you know, and, mm -hmm. and, yes. and it's nobody likes to be in that situation, you know, parent included. Nobody really wants to be in that situation. But like we do see those kind of like super late term cases where they're coming in and it's like, well, I would have loved to introduce core stabilization strategies to you before you even got pregnant. But yeah. here's where we are right now. Right. And I see that you're wearing an SI belt and that you're in extreme discomfort, et cetera, you know, and, and you just kind of got to deal with, with what shows up to your office that day. Right. The evidence-based group recently, like in the last couple of years, has really questioned whether or not chiropractors, physical therapists can actually turn babies with their techniques. So their argument would be, you know, if it did happen, it was just going to happen anyways. And there was no, like, what do you, what's your guys uh, answer to that when you hear things like that? Um, 
So my stance on that has changed a little bit since being in midwifery school, honestly. So we go over the, you know, you have like your anatomical normal in the textbook, right? And we're talking about ideal baby baby position, which is vertex, meaning head down with the chin tucked and the tip of the crown pointing against the, uh, against the cervix. And that's what helps dilate and open. Or if baby's in a breech position, butt first, etc. The reality of it is there's so much variation in the pelvic outlet woman to woman that the best position for that baby is whatever the best position is Mm. for baby to come through the pelvis that it's in so all that we can do as providers is increase stability mobility where it needs it like improving those biomechanics and then baby can find the best position for itself because there Mm -hmm. is no perfect position and um, yeah, I mean, breech birth is a lost art because they don't teach it in schools anymore, but it's not, it's not like it's a negative thing. Right. Like it used to be. Yeah. But so, so not to hold your feet to the fire, no, but do you fine. think that people can turn the baby? Like, do you think that's, uh, maybe you don't want to, but the baby is practicing obstetrics without a license as a chiropractor yeah. or a provider. But do I think that you can, um, open up, you know, like if there's a ton of restriction on the right side of the body and you're doing soft tissue work and you're doing, you know, stabilizing where you're doing all of the musculoskeletal care. Absolutely. I think the baby can find a better position. Right. And, and just a, a piece of room at that point. Right? Yeah. 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 Room. It becomes like it's real just, estate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. If there's not as much real estate over here. I'm not going to get into this position. Right. Yeah. right. So I, I don't think that chiropractors or PTs necessarily move babies. Um, what I think that they do is create a more optimal environment. Mm-hmm. Right. And then like in traditional Chinese acupuncture, just as an example, there's like certain points or meridians that mm-hmm. can initiate labor. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that? Uh, the acupuncturist in my office uh, sees a lot of our prenatal patients. And I mean, they have really great great results and that's actually uh one of the things that has been studied with ivf specifically is acupuncture and traditional chinese medicine and they actually have pretty decent evidence of of how supportive it is um but you know the the um I've, i've had patients who came in for acupuncture and you know they had the the points to supposedly induce labor and still you know ended up having that not at the end of pregnancy, a baby is going to come. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we kind of find ourselves in that situation where was it going to happen anyway? Or, you know, you get too far and now the the provider is wanting to induce anyway. And, and you, you know, but I, I think, or do you again, think it even ma- like, is it just that you're putting needles in the musculoskeletal system or that like, it's actually this exact point that needs to be hit to get the desired effect? Yeah. I think that <laughs> I... I am not a licensed acupuncturist. Yeah. Uh, I do dry needling, and that is intentionally for the neuromusculoskeletal benefits. Right. And acupuncture is intentionally energetic work. Right. So that is a whole new ball game, right? You know, so energetically, yeah. if you put a needle into the outside of the pinky toe, like what sort of realms are you tapping into right now? I don't know. Right. And right. don't underestimate the power of the mind. Exactly. Oh, for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Power of suggestion is, mm-hmm. is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might as well play into it. Yeah. Yes. And absolutely. Gonna, part, there's part part nothing wrong with that. Is preventative as well, right? So we get like... Um, what I will tell you is that chiropractors are uh, really, really great palpators. So as far as feeling baby's position, if you notice that baby is in maybe not a vertex position, um, not that you're legally supposed to diagnose position, etc., whatever. Um, but I start noticing those sorts of things at around 32 or 34 weeks in comparison to 36 or 38 weeks because mm-hmm. there's more space to create change. So then I can give them inversions and you know different things to let like let's help this out in and again not specifically for breach presentation not because breach is bad but i know what they're up against in our area if they're birthing in the hospital and they want a breach or and they want a vaginal birth so there's things like spinning babies and um like i said inversions and soft tissue release and and all of this that we can use again to create the most optimal environment for baby and the more aware you are at about that 32 to 34 week mark, you can make a little more change than when baby's grown bigger and um, runs out of real estate, really. And I think yeah. too, kind of to that point and, and sort of to touch back on the 
the acupuncture thing, you know, if a patient decides I'm going to go to an acupuncture appointment and I'm going to sit or lie down for an hour and take care of myself, like, you know, it, it can be a stressful situation where they're like, oh, I'm supposed to have my baby and I haven't had my baby yet. And I'm super, you know, mm -hmm. kind of freaking out about it. And they get in this heightened stress mm -hmm. awareness or a situation. And so they take that time to downregulate. And so, um, one of the, I, like I tend to give patients the mild circuit, uh, to help them because it's three positions and they're 30 minutes each. So like if you're taking time to do 90 minutes worth of something every day where you're not doing anything else, like the down regulation that comes with that, whether it's the, the, the positions are magic or not, but you're taking 90 friggin' minutes of your day to, to commit to not doing anything else. I think that's really, really powerful. Yeah. What do you think about like a question that we get often is, you know, cause we have, um, some holistic birthing centers. Mm -hmm. So, but then like the typical patient who's grown up in Western medicine, you know, they'll say things like, well, you know, what if we needed a NICU or something like that? Like, what do you guys, I mean, how do you have these conversations with your patients? Like, what are some of the things that... Can I answer that first as the not midwife? <laughs> sure. Um, so what I say is, is how impactful it was for me to see midwives be able to determine what looks safe to them and what doesn't. And so they're so much faster at saying, this is not in my scope and this is something that I need to refer out. And this is not a birth that I'm comfortable with accepting into the birth center or as a home birth and passing those on to a different provider because they are so, so, so well-trained in normal physiological birth right. that they can recognize any sort of difference from that physiological birth quickly. So whether it's pathological or just a different variation, they are so quick at recognizing that and ready and willing to, to pass that on. And that's where, you know, when you get into some of the, the legalities of midwifery, like CPMs in North Carolina cannot uh, legally practice home birth midwifery. And so if they want to refer out, well, then they kind of have to like cut ties with that patient as opposed to continuity of care and in, in transferring them. Um, so, you know, it gets a little gray there, but with, you know, a legal home birth midwife situation or a, a birth center situation, those types of scenarios, they're so well-trained in physiologic birth that they recognize yellow flags. Whereas what I see within kind of like the traditional obstetric model of care, they recognize red flags and they're really great at managing those red flags, but they don't really have to pay attention to the yellow flags because they're so ready for the red flags. Mm -hmm. Midwives are like, oh, that's a, mm, that green flag is turning chartreuse. You know, mm -hmm. like they're, 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 they're starting to recognize things so much earlier mm -hmm. in the process that they're ready to pass this. They're better at, better at triaging. Sounds yeah. like they're, yes. yeah. Okay. That's what I would say as the not midwife. 80% of the time birth is normal and physiological and 10 to 20% of the time it needs some sort of assistance. Even less than that is it an emergency. Mm -hmm. um, and it would be great if we could always anticipate what would potentially be risk. But now having been involved in the opposite side of that, when you have someone that's very low risk, um, no indicators of any concerns, and then you end up in an emergent situation, a if you are choosing to have a community birth, whether it be home birth or birth center, I am an advocate for choosing a midwife that is trained in neonatal resuscitation. Um, I'm talking to my patients about the fact that they are prepared for an emergency if you choose the right midwife. Right. Not all midwives are good at triaging <clears throat> the same way that not all chiropractors are good at referring when it's <laughs> out of their realm. So, um, you know, the the proactive side of that, like Muma's talking about, where they're able to uh, watch over prenatally to see if any yellow or red flags show up, is that's like the easy part of the job. The hard part is knowing what to do when there's something that happens um, postpartum and that, or like during that third stage and especially early fourth fourth stage of of birth and being prepared for that and taking that seriously as a provider. Is there a provider network that like people like can go on and like find, you know, like these people that are trained the way that you are, that would be a good, you know, referrals. source referrals? No, there's no, not. You just basically um, 
there yeah a lot of it is word of mouth and a lot of that is state to state because some states it's legal and some states it's not and as we know the legality of things doesn't change the fact that it's happening it just changes how and who it happens with so asking questions more like are you trained in neonatal resuscitation you know what what sorts of things um what's your transfer policy if if there is an emergency, what does that look like? Uh, it's always a good idea to be a, a maximum of 30 minutes away from any hospital anyway. So it's more about asking those questions. Those aren't conversations that are fun and that people want to have because we want we never want to think that mm-hmm. an emergency is going to happen. But when you're prepared for it and the whole team is on board, I mean, especially the parents uh, with what happens in case of emergency, then that's where you're um, really, truly safer in in birth well i mean that's no different than any kind of doctor the best doctors in the world they're great critical thinkers they make great decisions in a big moment yeah sometimes it's hard to know whether or not that person is good or not yeah yeah Yeah. and ask i mean uh if you want to know who the good midwives are the good chiropractors the good peas etc 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 in the area ask the doulas in the area they know the good the bad and the ugly Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. right true because they're in it for the beginning basically right i mean they're (laughs) Usually, yeah. so yeah. awesome. Well, what a good conversation, man! Oh, man, that was great. Yeah, um, I feel like job. we we kind of cleared some things up, and uh, I'd be renounced if I didn't say our next course coming up for you guys. Yeah. So we're going to be in uh, Indianapolis, Maryland. So uh, October eighth and 9th. We're excited to take you guys on the road a little bit, you know. I'm excited. So, and then we'll be back here in Troy, basically a year from now. So, uh, for Official. the same course, yep. Uh, Even despite the tattoos, despite the tattoos, back. Well, wow. so they're, they're looking for some good uh, tattoo artists in Annapolis. So, if anybody's got anybody, <laughs> they'll more than likely have our damn credit card again. <laughs> they, what's funny you know is they actually checking those charges. They requested one for themselves, and so now I know what's actually going to happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This is literally like we're parents here. These are our children. Please, Just Dad. Like, uh, please, Dad. Can I have some more money, please? <laughs> so uh, despite the tattoos, um, <laughs> we still love them. But yep. They're, they're Thanks, too, good, too good of teachers to, to, to not allow a couple tattoos every once in a while. You know, you just got to let a little bit of stuff slide. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, thank you both for being here, number one. Thank you for educating us. Thank you for educating our, our people. And uh, this is uh, just a topic that I know Brett and I are passionate about because – it's underserved information is kind of mixed especially in the chiropractic world and so uh for you guys to bring this all together into one 12-hour weekend seminar is pretty amazing uh i know that we could probably do five or six more of these but um uh to to start here i think it's a good spot and then uh our goal is to just keep keep progressing uh these two and especially with uh this topic and so i just think it's hard to do it tastefully and that's what they do a good job of it you know like within chiropractic there's so much weirdness in this space so when you and i mean don't get me wrong you guys are weird but (laughs) But I mean, I think to have like the evidence-based group, if you will, or evidence-informed, whatever the new term is, like in this space Mm -hmm. is really important. And that's the, that's the void they're filling. Absolutely. So no, no scare tactics, no, no garbage like that. It's just good information and stuff you can apply. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get you guys on the road. We'll finish our Sputniks and uh, we'll see you guys soon. All right. Good luck with patience. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gestalt Education Show. Uh, if you liked it, share it, subscribe to it, uh, send it to your friends, send it to someone that needs to hear this message. Uh, we really want everyone to be able to, to tune in and, and get the, the best clinical advice that they can, which uh, we're hoping that we're giving to you with these special guests. So um, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us, or if you have any suggestions on upcoming uh, conversations, let us know. Uh, For a list of our upcoming courses, we're adding them all the dang time. So go to gestaltedu.com, click on courses, and they'll all be right there for you. All right, have a good day.